As Latter-day Saint leaders, we face very difficult conversations that put us at risk of saying the wrong thing that can do more harm than good. Many of these conversations relate to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Have you had a fellow board member come out to you about their LGBT identity? Have you had LGBT neighbors and you just don't know what to say to them, so you ignore them instead? Have you wrestled with balancing love for your fellow men while still respecting the doctrines of the restored gospel? In order to help, Leading Saints has put together the LGBT Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of the most popular sessions are available now to watch. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now, or visit leadingsaints.org slash LGBT. Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And we do that through various ways, including this very podcast that you're listening to. I hope you subscribe. Maybe leave us a review while you're at it. And I think you'll enjoy the content you find on this podcast. And then jump on over to leadingsaints.org and you'll find thousands of articles dedicated to leadership context as it relates to uh, being a Latter-day Saint. We have virtual summits that we've done. Check us out on social media and also a weekly newsletter that goes out that has unique content you won't find anywhere else. So uh, jump into the Leading Saints world. We're glad to have you. Today, I'm at the Triad Center in Salt Lake City with, uh, uh, maybe not too many are familiar with you, Morgan Jones, the podcast queen. I am not right? the oh, podcast queen. I just <laughs> Kurt Frankum, I am not the podcast queen. <laughs> I know you just love that, right? <laughs> but you've been, I mean, you're a fellow podcaster. Like, we got to stick together, I right? know. We, we do. We yeah. absolutely have to stick together. So this is so fun. Yeah. So, I mean, how did your, I mean, as a little boy, I wasn't like, someday I want to be on a yeah, you know what podcasts were, but you know, this is, this is not where we saw ourselves, right? No, podcasts were not, I didn't even know what a podcast was until <laughs> we started working on one. Yeah. I thought they were paid. Like I thought you had to pay oh, yeah, for pay them. to hear them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I was like, oh, wow, this is quite the resource that's available to people. And I had no idea. So fun nice. to be a part of it. But yeah, I definitely didn't, I didn't grow up thinking that I would do this. And yeah. I, I actually was just telling somebody this morning that I think it's really cool that, you know, you have goals. And for me, one of them was to write a book. Uh And I never thought that I would work on a podcast. And the podcast has led to the fulfillment of a goal for me. And so anyway, long story short is I just think that it's really cool that Heavenly Father knows our goals Mm -hmm. and can get us there in ways that we never imagined. And I think he's, God is good. Yeah, right. So you're the podcaster of All In. I'm yes. Sure, um, people are very familiar. It's a LDS Living produced podcast. Correct. And so how did you, I mean, what's the story about you ending up in front of the mic? So story is when I was at Deseret News, I worked for Deseret News for four and a half years. When I was there, Hal Boyd, who was the opinion editor, had an idea for a podcast and it was a really great idea and has influenced what this podcast has become. It's not the same thing, was not called All In, but he kind of, he said to me, I think that 
we hear a lot about why people are walking away from their faith. We don't hear a lot about why people choose to stay. And he said, I would argue that the decision to stay is just as thoughtful and deliberate as the decision to leave, but we don't talk about that. And I said, I think that is a brilliant idea. You should 100% do it. (laughs) And he said, well, I think you need to host it. And I thought, you're crazy. I don't know the first thing about broadcasting. And Hal Boyd is one of the nicest people I've ever met. And he said to me, well, Morgan, you've done interviews for years. It's just that nobody's ever heard them. Right. And there's something about when somebody believes in you and your capability to do something that makes you feel like, oh, wow, maybe I could actually do Mm. that. And so we started working on something and Deseret News actually ended up killing that podcast. It never saw the light of day. But that kind of got my feet a little bit wet. And I actually worked with a friend who was the entertainment editor at the time, and she had just come to Deseret News from NPR. And so she gave me some tips and things, you know, to to work on interview tips for for an interview that was actually going to be heard by the ear rather than just read. Yeah. And so then when I came to Deseret Book, they were just starting to develop some podcast and they said, would you be interested in being involved? And I said, absolutely. It would be nice to have one that people actually hear someday. And somebody came up with the idea for All In. We don't even know who it was that thought, you know, that would be a good good name. And then we kind of reiterated on the question and and came to the conclusion that, what does it mean to you to be all in would be a good question because it wouldn't lead to pompous, self-righteous answers, right. but yeah. it would hopefully cause people to think. And I'm I'm a big fan of any podcast where there's a question that's consistent mm-hmm. because I like like listening for that specific question. So all of that to say, I had no idea what I was doing, yeah. but here we are. Yeah. yeah. I've been in that boat for sure. And I remember early on, like in the early 2010s, it was like, you'd go look for Latter-day Saint related podcasts, but you're always skeptical for five or six episodes. Like what's this guy's intentions or that person's intentions? Cause right. you just early on podcasting and the church was sort of, that's where maybe, you know, negative information was talked about or, or putting down the church or some of these things. So it made sense to now let's, let's respond with a podcast where it talks about faith promoting and yeah, let's, like that. let's like fill that space with yeah. something positive. Yeah. Yeah, and there's still plenty of room to to fill in the podcasting world if right. anybody wants to jump in. So. Yeah, yeah, that's when that's what I always say, Kurt. Mm-hmm. We actually early on had a girl come in who is a member of the church. Her name is Christine Baird Wood. She came in and she had worked on Lewis Howe's podcast, mm. and which is like one of the most popular interview style podcasts in the world. And I happened to meet her at a Christmas party. Like, oh, what wow. are the odds? Yeah. You know, and we had just started the podcast, had no idea what we were doing. So we brought her in. And one of the things that she said to us is, you know, there's room for everybody yeah. in this space. And so you don't need to approach it from a place of scarcity. You need to approach it from a place of abundance. And that has been something, you know, I firmly agree with what you just said. There's mm-hmm. plenty of room and people that there will be people, Kurt, that like absolutely love you. And there will be people that love me and they may not be the same people. Right. But like we'll be what we need to be for somebody. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And you've been able to interview some really cool people. But I found like I get the question. It seems like they've got it more often like what's your 
like what's your favorite episode or whatnot. And sometimes it's, you know, you want to name drop and be like, yeah, you know, I'm talking to some cool people. But at the same time, it's like, I talked with this obscure like relief site president in Australia and she had this idea that completely changed like yeah. my thinking, you know? Yeah. And it's like just talking to the everyday person. And that's why there's so much room, right? There's so many opportunities. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a a testimony that, and there's a journey behind that testimony, right. right? It's awesome. And there are members of the church all around the world, millions of them. And like you said, they all have a story. So you'll never run out of content. I know. I know. It's true. So let's, let's stick with it in a vein of uh, interviewing because obviously as a leadership podcast, leaders have opportunity to do interviews and, you know, there may be very different than a podcast interview, but what have you learned as far as like sitting down with somebody and being able to connect with them through questions or or anything. Like if you were coaching bishops or relief society presidents on how to sit down with somebody and start talking to them, any advice come to mind? Yes. So my first thing I would say is I think that you have an opportunity and I think it works better in person than it does virtually, which we've for been sure. doing virtual yeah. interviews for <laughs> a year. But there's something about establishing some form of connection. And I always say like you can do it from the elevator to your studio. So uh-huh. uh, give a, a few yards and all you have to do to me is you find something that you have in common. I'm from Georgia. Oh, no way. I'm from North Carolina, like East Coast. You know, you talk about the South for a second and you've made a connection or my go to is, oh, I saw that, you know, so and so that person is one of my favorite people in the world. Mm -hmm. And you connect over that. And so if you can find common ground, I think that that immediately kind of causes some walls to come down. I also think, you know, everybody wants to be heard. They want somebody that's going to listen to them and make them feel important. And I think sometimes, especially in this type of interview, we like to Some people, I feel like, like to talk more than they like to listen. Mm. And I just have found that it's key for me, at least, to be genuinely interested about what the person is saying. And rather than and it's hard because a lot of times like we're thinking of our next response, but listening without trying to think, how am I going to respond to this? I think that's huge and making people feel cared about and in a safe place. I don't know. I think that cultivating a connection in any kind of conversation space is kind of an art. Um, Another thing that's like really little, my grandpa used to always quote Dale Carnegie, who said the most beautiful word in any language is a person's own name. Yeah. And I've noticed in interviews, there are people like I told you, I just interviewed Thurl Bailey yesterday. And when I was interviewing him, he kept saying Morgan. And I was like, that's so nice. Yeah. And it's nice to hear your name. And so I think, you know, that's another little thing that yeah. makes a difference. Yeah. And, you know, in the context of church leadership, it can feel we almost default to this administrative posture with it all, where we sit down for a ministering interview. And the first question we go to is, so how are your families? You know, because that's like, seems like the obvious question. That's why we're here. Let's get to it. Right. Right. But just take that moment to say, to sort of connect on a personal level. Before you get into maybe the administrative, one it's not, it won't be such a short, awkward interview when you're like, oh, they're fine. Yeah. Okay. I guess we're done here after 30 seconds. Yeah. Know? Well, and I think to that point, Kurt, I think that's one of the beautiful things about a ministering interview versus a visiting teaching or home teaching interview. Yeah. 
is I think it's just as much to check on the person that you're interviewing as it is to find out how the families that they're assigned to are. And I think if we don't recognize that, we're kind of in the point a little yeah. bit. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the question in a lot of podcasts, I mean, we have our question at the end and, and people, but having sort of this question that's like, what I appreciate about sort of these final questions is I know when I ask it, it's going to end on a point that's deeply spiritual, focused on Christ exactly. and his gospel. And then that's where we want to leave people. Right. Yeah. And so to come up, like even in these routine interviews, whether it's the bishop's interview with all the youth or whatever, like. What are some questions that you can go back to that's going to leave it on a tone where everybody leaves like, wow, you know, I, that was good. You know, it got a little messy in the first, but by the end, it was a great, a great interaction. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And then just this concept of being heard, like even as I'm like one technique I, I do is as I you're talking, I have an idea come to my mind. I think, oh, I should ask her that next. But, you know, it's a split second. And so I write it down because if I don't, I'm going to like hold on to it and half listen to you. Exactly. Right? And, you, and then you're you're like hanging so tightly right. you can't hear. I yeah, love exactly. that. And so and that goes, I mean, we there's maybe a little more pressure knowing that this is recorded and the world's going to hear this. But even in those interactions, that really helps you be present when maybe you just take a quick note and go back and, you know, be present again. Absolutely. With the, with the interview. Any other interview tips or? Uh, I can't think of any. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, prepare I'm big on preparation. I think that, you know, we talk about if you're prepared, you shall not fear. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about the spirit being able to call things to your remembrance. And I am a big believer that the spirit can't call things to your remembrance that were never there in the first place. And so if you've done your homework and if you've prepared, then you can turn it over to Heavenly Father and trust that if you're doing something for a good purpose he can work with you if you've done your work, yeah. your end of the deal. Yeah, love that. So uh, obviously, the you have a, a new project that's coming out as a book. Yes, with the same name, All In. Yes, right. And uh, what's the subtitle? You got it memorized. Uh, I, can look I think real it's quick. exploring what it means to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, you nailed it. Good. Nice. <laughs> this so, is like a test. So, <laughs> so, what's the journey of of the book like? And and what. What did you learn along that journey as you're, you know, reflecting on so many interviews that you've done? So the book started out because we had a few people that reached out and they were pulling all of the all in answers themselves. Oh, really? Just like like casual listeners? Yeah. Oh, wow. And I was like, you know what? If people are doing that themselves, (laughs) then maybe we should just help them out and give them that resource. So I pitched the idea to Deseret Book and they really liked it. But the problem with that idea was that when I started pulling them, I realized that when you have 35 minutes of interview before that answer, then the answer by itself either feels like taken out of context or it doesn't pack as much of a punch. And you kind of need those minutes beforehand in a lot of cases. And so I was like, I don't feel like this is as strong a product as it should be. And so we started kind of trying to riff off of that and come up with a better idea. And what it en- it ended up being a lot more work, Kurt, than I thought I was signing up for. <laughs> hey, books always are. Yes. I'm learning that myself. Yes. <laughs> but I think the cool thing is, and I, you know, Deseret Book, you go through an approval process. And so while they liked the idea of the book, I really didn't know if it was going to get published the mm. whole time I was working on it. 
But you're Morgan Jones, no? But doesn't care. No, nobody cares, Kurt. Nobody, nobody I, actually I care, Morgan. cares. I no. do. Um, but you know, the one thing that I kept thinking is if no one ever reads this book beyond just having something to like give my kids about yeah. a season of my life that has meant a lot to me, it mm-hmm. would be worth it, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I did a really crappy job of keeping a journal during all of <laughs> we this. We all do, yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, like that will be lost. And at least this way I will have gotten this on paper. And so I wrote it like I was writing it really to somebody really close to me. And hopefully that comes through to the reader and hopefully they recognize that to me, posting this podcast has made me feel close to a lot of people that I've never even met before. And that like love hopefully will come through. But again, I didn't know if it was ever going to get published. So yeah, yeah, it was fun to work on. And I want to ca- make sure we capture these leadership principles that come to the surface. I mean, this concept, because we go through, you know, use the word season, you know, we go through these seasons of life that sometimes it feels like maybe I'll do this for 30 years. I don't know. But and at other times it's like, oh, that only actually lasted just a few years. And in the church, like in these callings, it's a season, you know, you're a relief site present for a season or a bishop or whatnot. And sometimes just you can get discouraged that, you know, what am I really doing here? You know, am I just pushing papers around, you know, making sure the doors are unlocked on Sunday? Like, what am I really doing? But to say, actually, I'm going to create, infuse it with purpose with my family and make sure my kids understand what I'm doing or make sure that I have uh something to hold on to that might pass on to my posterity, an example or whatnot, right? That, you know, you find you've got to sometimes be proactive in in finding that purpose of some of these projects because jumping into a book and manuscript and putting these things together, like nobody wants to do that just for fun, right? I mean, maybe there's some weird people out there, but. Yeah, no, there has to be a purpose in yeah. it. And I think, you know, I mentioned to you earlier before we started recording that when I was a senior in high school, I was called to be primary chorister in my home ward. And it's funny because I think every calling, if you look for the purpose in it, you'll find it. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was really struggling. I grew up in a part of North Carolina where there were not a lot of members of the church and teenage girls Kurt can be brutal, as I'm sure you know. (laughs) And I had had this best friend and then she just stopped talking to me one day and I was depressed and I was like losing weight. And then I got this calling and just had like these little kids that just loved me. And let me ask about how you got this calling. Like, because when I was a bishop, the seniors in high school, my word, weren't on top of my list when we were looking for a primary music leader. So, I mean, is there a story behind that? Uh, My dad was the bishop. Okay. We were in a very small ward, Uh Um, the kind of ward that if you didn't show up on Sunday, multiple things would not get done. (laughs) Okay. Everybody had some kind of responsibility. And so I think, you know, that's the reason that maybe, you know, Every- but, but cool that this sort of created this opportunity for you to have that chance as a senior. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I don't think actually, I don't think high school kids can serve in primary anymore, which is kind of sad. But mm. at the time, it was like a game changer for mm. me, you know, just to have a space where I felt loved and appreciated. And and so you look at that and you say, OK, that was just a season of my life. I went to college and everything was great and I had great friends and and the Heavenly Father made up for years of praying for friends in North Carolina. But for that season, I needed that calling. And so I think it's interesting the way that 
those callings can bless us. And if we look for the way, for the reason, I think we'll always find yeah. it. Yeah. So what <laughs> I, I take it to such a practical, non-emotional place, but yeah, any, I'm very emotional. So it, you'll have to fine. bear with I me. I want Kurt. you to go there. I need emotion in this, uh, this interview. So any quick and fast tips for primary music leaders? I mean, what, oh, what, what did you find worked? That was the year they did like children holding hands around the world. Do you remember that song? That was like, it was like a new primary song and that was the main song. I vaguely. Oh, it was magical. It was such a good song. <laughs> I don't know. One thing that I remember that we did is we took the kids several times to sing a nursing home. Oh, really? And I would take my guitar and play oh, and cool. they would sing. And I just think, I don't know, anything that you can do to make it feels not so much like we're just showing up on Sunday and singing some songs and calling it good. Yeah. If you can make it more of an experience, I think yeah. that changes things a little bit. Awesome. Well, well, we'll touch on some various, you know, learning moments you had as putting and doing these interviews and then putting them together. But in chapter three, it's titled all in as single as a single adult. And uh, you've been a single adult for a while. I mean, yes. it, looking and I don't know what the averages are, especially after conference, who knows, but maybe it's an atypical experience that maybe at least what you expected. I'm sure like most Latter-day Saints, you sort of go on a mission maybe and then come home and- Yeah, nobody and, uh, plans to be right, a single not, adult. Yeah, yeah. And you're, yeah, I have a friend that always says, you're trying to be happy in a place where everybody says that you shouldn't be happy, hmm. meaning you shouldn't be satisfied to be there, right? right? Yeah. And everybody's trying to get out, like prison. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I think it is, if you ask me what have been the most formative experiences of my entire life, I would tell you two things. One would be having siblings leave the church. Hmm. The other would be being a single adult. And yeah. so it's not something that I would change or take back. And I have feel like I've cherished that time and am still learning from the experience of having something that was completely unexpected. And I always I think it's always the unexpected in life that's hard. Mm -hmm. It's the thing we don't see coming. Yeah. And because nobody plans to be single, you didn't see it coming. Yeah. So and. And you recently started going to, I don't know, recently is the right term, but you started going to a traditional family ward. I don't know yes. what, what we're calling them. And uh, you, you talk about the sort of this experience of that transition to the ward during a pandemic that maybe, you know, again, all the best intentions were present, but maybe tell that story and, and yeah. then reflect that on the greater topics. So I will start by saying my ward has been so great. Yeah. They have been above and beyond, could not be any nicer I think I got really lucky and ended up, not that any ward is better than another, but right. I think my ward is like exceptionally good. But having said that, the very first Sunday that I walked into church, a lady greeted me as I was walking in and I was nervous. You know, I had never done that before by myself in a ward full of people that I didn't know. And so I'm walking in kind of timidly and a lady greets me and she says, are you here with a family? And I said, no, it's just me. And she said, okay, if you can just sit on this back row up against like the divider, you know? Uh -huh. And I was like, are we for real right now? <laughs> like, What's going on? And it was literally a row of like old single women and me looking at the goal in front of us, you uh -huh. know? Uh -huh. 
And it just like felt like crap. Yeah. And I sat there the whole time thinking, ugh. Yeah. You know? And fortunately, yeah. I am not somebody that's like on the fence or looking to be offended. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, if I was looking for a reason to be offended and never come back to church again, that could have been it. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. I don't feel welcome here. I'm out. Yeah. And and this isn't like a typical process. It was mainly they're trying to keep social distancing right. and things like that. Right. And so they're like, well, why don't we make sure we keep the families together? Right. But, and this is sort of the a larger topic with single adults. Like even last week, I said something to a single adult where I just like in my brain, it like totally made sense. I was just having a casual conversation and I was corrected in a way. I'm like, Oh, I see how you took that. Like, yeah, I did not mean it that way. Well, and that's the thing. Nobody does. Right. Nobody means offense. And I think that's why there's a responsibility. And I think that this applies in our world at large. If people are not intending to offend you, then you shouldn't be offended. Mm -hmm. You know, having said that, I do think like we have to be sensitive to the needs of different groups of people. I had an experience when I was in the YSA stake. I was in the stake relief society presidency. And one of the things that our stake president does is for ward conferences, we go around and they will ask questions. So the wards submit questions in advance and then members of the stake leadership kind of take turns Mm -hmm. on like a panel answering those questions. And also people in the ward can answer as well. And there was a question where a boy asked, you know, he said, I feel like I am trying to do everything that I can. What should I be doing that I'm not doing? Mm. And a member of the bishopric's wife, who I'm sure was very well-meaning, said, well, some of you need to ask people out on dates more. Mm. And I just sat there and I was like, Here's a boy who just told us he's doing everything he can think to do. Mm-hmm. And to me, the underlying message of his question was, what is wrong with me? Yeah, I'm broken. Right. Yeah. And so I'm like, don't tell him to ask more people out on dates. <laughs> like, that's the last thing this sweet boy needs to hear. What he needs to hear is there's nothing wrong with him. Yeah. This is like Heavenly Father has a plan for everybody and... I think in many cases, like you being single is a part of his plan and there are things that you're meant to learn from that. And so I just think we need to kind of change the dialogue a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I remember, you know, when I shifted, you know, graduate high school and then I shift into like mission prep mode and it's like, I know the steps to take. I wait, you know, at least back then I wait for my 19 year old birthday and then I fill out these papers and then I see the bishop and then a dentist and then I go on a mission. Right. And then we come home from the mission and, and I sort of want to stay you know, I want to stay in that state of mind where I'm like, okay, I'll do this step and then that step. And then I get married and I have, we have children and it's, it's wonderful. Right. But there's, and so it, then it, then that doesn't work. It then sort of can reflect back on us. And this is exactly where the adversary wants us that well, that's because you're broken. Right. Like there's something wrong with you. Right? right. And did you feel like you went through moments or seasons where it was like, actually, I think there's something wrong with me. Definitely. Yeah. 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 And I remember And I share this in the book, I think. I remember I was sitting in the Salt Lake Temple. I worked in the Salt Lake Temple for like 10 months a few years ago. And I was on the morning shift. And in the Salt Lake Temple, there are so many 
temple workers and so many different spots that yeah. you can be in. Lots of hallways, yes. lots of corners. Yes. Right? <laughs> and in some of those spots, your only job is to greet people. Uh-huh. And so in one particular spot, your job is if somebody walks past you, you stand up and you say like, hello, and then you sit back down. Uh-huh. That's it. So I was in a spot where there wasn't a lot of traffic and I was just sitting there and it was early in the morning and I was really close to my dad's mom who has passed away. She passed away like six years ago. And so I was sitting there and all of a sudden I had this feeling that my grandma was trying to talk to me, Mm. which I don't, that's not usually like the move, but I was like, all right, like I'm listening And very clearly in my mind, I heard this voice say, you're not doing anything wrong. You're doing everything right. Just keep doing what you're doing. Mm. And for me, it was exactly what I needed to hear. And I think that, you know, you know, if you're not doing something right that you should be doing, you know, if you're trying your very best and Only you know that. But if you feel like you're doing everything that you can, if you're like that boy and like, I'm doing everything that I can think of and things are not going the way that I wanted them to, I think that that's because they're not supposed to go the way that you wanted them to. And Heavenly Father has a plan and you're not doing anything wrong. You're doing everything right. Just keep doing what you're doing. And what a powerful message that, you know, YSA leaders could perpetuate in a, in that, in church settings of that, you know, you, you do all realize you're not doing anything wrong here. Cause that's sort of the, the mental dialogue happening with so many because the adversary, that's exactly where the adversary wants to, that's where it hurts. You right. know, it's like, and that's a universal human experience of, I think I'm broken. Right. And that's not to say that we shouldn't seek self-improvement right. yeah. or that we shouldn't strive to be better every day. But I think that the problem is, you know, if you are at church and you are fulfilling a calling and you're doing your ministering and you're partaking of the sacrament worthily, you know, you know that you're trying. So cut yourself some slack and recognize that Heavenly Father has a lot, probably is not nearly as hard on us as we are on ourselves. Yeah, for sure. So you, you mentioned a you had different leadership experiences during your time in the, in the YSA world. And so you were in a, you were a counselor in a relief society, stake relief study presidency. Correct. Right. And typically, well, I don't know if it's typically, but a lot of times those might be filled from older like, ladies, older ladies. I don't know what the right term would be, were, you know, wives of Bishopric members or high council men or whatnot. Right? right. So was that sort of a different approach there or? So initially, I was called to be the secretary, mm-hmm. and all of the l- women were older women. Uh-huh. And then actually, my stake Relief Society president listened to Rob Farrell. Oh, yeah. And he talked about having older or younger yeah, yeah. women, and she was like, oh, I want to try that. Oh, nice. And cool. so then she reached out to our stake president. He thought it was a good idea. And so it still was... The secretaries were young single adults, and then the older women were in the presidency except for me. Oh, yeah. And it was so great. I'll tell you one of the biggest blessings of that calling for me was I think sometimes as single adults, we have a tendency to get caught in like a single bubble. 
Hmm. where it feels like everybody that you're interacting with is in the same boat you're in. Hmm. And so when you have a conversation, it always goes back to dating. It always goes back to like, woe is me, you know, like just commiserating because misery loves company. But when you get outside of that bubble you recognize that you're still a human being, you know, and you can, you can conversate with people that are not single. And so for me, it was like being around those high councilmen and their wives or the members of my stake relief society presidency that got me out of that. And then like one of the ladies in my presidency with me, she invited me over to Sunday dinner with her family almost every Sunday. And I felt like I was a part of their family Mm. and just, just that made a huge difference for me. So I am a big proponent also of making sure that your circle does not just include people in your demographic. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and almost having that mix there, because it could be easy to say, well, let's put all signals in there and go with it. And that may work to some extent. But, you know, just realizing that there's so much where you do relate, it can sort of you can't get out of there. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's sort of a overall struggle with YSA words is this getting breaking that dynamic of like we're the adults and you're the kids right right and and so mixing some of these callings up and and having them associate on a on a very on an equal level can really help them maybe break that that trend well and to the credit of the people that i served with the stake presidency the high councilmen the members of the stake relief society presidency i was never treated as anything but an equal Hmm. And if anything, it almost felt like, oh, well, Morgan is one of them. Like, let's actually listen to her. Yeah. Which props to them for just being incredible people. Yeah. So any other like callings or experiences that really stood out during that time, those those years in YSA? I was a Ward Relief Society president. I Most of my callings were in Relief Society. So mm-hmm. I love Relief Society. I'm a big believer that, you know, there's something that happens and I've never been in elders quorum, so I can't speak to that. (laughs) But there's something that happens in Relief Society where it's almost like girls camp where like the walls come down (laughs) Uh and you're not worried about what you look like. You're not worried about saying the right thing. And I've had the opportunity to be in some really incredible Relief Societies, not just the ones where I was president. There was one in a ward that's just outstanding uh-huh. and people that really care about each other. One thing that I will say is I think sometimes people think of young single adults as kind of selfish mm. because it's like, well, why aren't you married? Yeah. You know, oh, you're so f- focused on your career or your education or you're just, you know, you don't have to think about anybody but yourself, which is true. Mm. But to the credit of so many young single adults that I know. They are the people that think about other people when they don't have to. Yeah. You know, when you're a young mom, you have to get up in the morning and go do something for a bunch of other people. When you're a young single adult, it requires like thought and effort and getting outside yourself and a lot of times stepping outside your comfort zone. But I have been the beneficiary of a lot of people who prayed, I think, to know, you know, who needs me today. And they answered that call. And a lot of those people were in the young single adult wards. Yeah. Any advice or like just from being in some of those relief societies, like was there something that helped perpetuate the walls coming down? Was Because I'm sure there's people listening to me like, well, 
Morgan's never been to my relief society like that. That isn't happening. You know, like any, was there any uh, thing that fed into that culture? You know what? That one ward that I mentioned, and I was, I was just a counselor in relief society at that time. But one thing that I loved about that ward, shout out to the Hillside YSA ward, because (laughs) there is a group of people that would still tell you to this day, they're like, there was something about that ward. And I think the biggest thing was there were not cool kids and not cool kids Mm. in that ward. I would say everybody was treated the same, you know, and we like showed up for each other's birthday parties and we invited everybody to everything. And then there, you know, it eliminates any kind of clickiness, which I've been in other wards where that's very prevalent. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I think I just was really lucky to be in that ward. Yeah, that's cool. You mentioned, I asked to put together a few principles that come to mind as far as your time serving in leadership. And uh, the first one you put is is ministering. What advice or thoughts do you have around ministering? So, when I was in the, the Stake Relief Society, we did a training every time a new Relief Society presidency got put in, which was a lot mm-hmm. in a YSA stake. And... I was responsible for training about ministering. And it was interesting because when it first started, I felt like I didn't know how to minister because I knew how to do visiting teaching, Kurt. I am totally comfortable going into a complete stranger's house and asking if I can share a spiritual thought. Yeah. But like figuring out what people actually need, I don't actually know how to do that. Yeah. And So I still remember, I thought, you know, how am I supposed to train about this if I don't actually feel like I know how to do it? And I think Heavenly Father must have known that. And one day I had this idea that I would invite the two girls that I ministered to out for gelato for Valentine's Day. Oh, wow. And so I did. And one of the girls didn't have a car. And so I picked her up, took her to the gelato place. I remember us making like kind of awkward small talk on the way there. And she was a little bit more quiet. And then on the way home, it still felt like, you know, kind of like there was a wall up. And I remember I said, I asked her, like, do you watch many TV shows? And she mentioned a show that she liked. And I was like, oh, I've been watching that recently. And for whatever reason, Kurt, that was like the thing that got (laughs) us talking. And then we would text about the show. And she, I told her, you know, if you ever need a ride anywhere. And she took me up on that. And I felt like I knew what it felt like to kind of catch the magic of ministering. And I think sometimes there are people that it's just like, they don't really need you right. for that period of time. Right. You just let them know that you're their ministering sister. But the cool thing was realizing like if the person really needs you, then if you have created that touch point, then they know who they can call. Yeah. And so then from then on, it felt like when I was talking about ministering, I actually had a testimony of it yeah. and I like believed in it and knew how good it could feel. And I think ministering is super inspired. I also think it's trickier yeah, and it takes more work. So I don't know if that's helpful at all, but I think no, for, sure. for me, it was just like, how do you teach about something that you don't actually believe in yourself? Yeah. And you got to figure it out. Yeah. And we sort of overcomplicate this sometimes because we're maybe used to the more structured approach, but 
there's no structured way of being human with somebody. It's just right. like you just be human, right? And before it was like, I mean, nobody ever shows up on my door, asks to come in and shares a message. Maybe the Jehovah Witnesses every once in a while, maybe the missionaries, but that's not a very like natural human thing to do, though we sort of did it. It's like this is my job or duty, right? But like calling somebody, like one thing my wife and I are doing, like we just have Thursday ice cream nights. We invite a few families over to our house. Like eating ice cream is a human thing. Nobody is going right. to be mad right. that you want to yeah, take exactly. them out for ice cream. Right. So why don't we get together and eat ice cream? And then what happens is just these connections and I've we had already made some great friendships and whatnot. And so that example of like humans watch television shows, like that's what we do in this modern age. And so finding that connection, suddenly you can be human and then it's not about the visit or about the... You know, and checking in is just, it just happens rather than this like, hey, it's that time of the month. You know, yeah. How are you? Well, and you know, the hilarious part about that, I am not a big TV watcher, Kurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think that like that is evidence that God cares because for some reason I had started watching this show that she just happened to like. And then that created that connection. So I think if you're trying to make an effort yeah. where they're, is a will, there's a way, and Heavenly Father is going to be like, you know, turn on that TV show right. and watch it so that you have something right. to connect about. And nowadays, everybody's watching The Chosen. So just like text about yeah. The Chosen, right? And so. as they should. <laughs> as they should. Awesome. Anything else with ministering, especially like the training? And, and I'm curious, just like just the structure of that. Like, so a new Relief Society president would get called. You would invite them to a, a evening where uh -huh. then you'd go through... Hey, here's some things to consider about ministering, right? Right. So every member of our presidency had a different responsibility to train uh -huh. on. And so we would talk through, you know, Sunday meetings, lessons, and mine just happened to be ministering. But it was interesting. That portion of the training always took the most time hmm. because and it wasn't because I was talking. I would do my little <laughs> spiel and then we'd say, like, do you have any questions? Yeah. Maybe it was because I wasn't doing a very good job on my training. <laughs> But we would say, actually, I think a lot of the time we would ask, do they have questions up front before I ever started training? Because they have so many because it's it's foreign. Yeah. And especially ministering interviews, they feel like totally foreign territory. Yeah. And I remember I had a conversation with a dear friend of mine and she talked to me about how her ward did ministering interviews and I thought it was like brilliant. She talked about how, you know, you want to make sure that you have people in a comfortable space. And so when you're talking about YSAs, you don't want to go and do their ministering interview in their house around their roommates. They're yeah. not going to tell you anything yeah. that, you know, I'm having a hard time with my roommate. She's sitting right there. <laughs> so that's what, like the first thing is creating a space where they feel comfortable uh, yeah. And then, you know, when you sit down with somebody, actually, like I said earlier, caring about them and recognizing that the ministering interviewed the point of it just as much as to check on the people that they're ministering to is to check on the person that you're talking to. And in a way, as a Relief Society president, that's a way that you minister to the girls in your ward is by giving them that space to talk. and. So anyway, I just think there are a lot of layers to ministering. Yeah. And I think it's a deeper concept. I think visiting teaching and I had really great experiences with visiting teaching, mm -hmm. even, you know, in college. And so I do have a testimony of that. But I think ministering is asking us to go deeper 
And it's asking us to get out of our comfort zone more than maybe we were otherwise and to care more than just once a month. And it's something, I mean, I can do better at it right now, Sure, but we all can. Yeah, for sure. This concept of you were called for a reason. And and we've sort of touched on this, like sort of infusing purpose in in what we do in life, whether it's writing a manuscript or or serving in a calling. So, I mean, how did that manifest itself in, in your callings? I remember when I was a Ward Relief Society president, I had been a counselor to the previous president, and I just was so impressed by her. She was mm-hmm. super organized. She was really, really good. I can tell you all the things still that she was really, really great at. She was really good. Anytime there was somebody visiting, she immediately knew that they were not in our ward, and she would go up and sit next to them and introduce herself, and it made me want to be better, you know? Yeah. But I will tell you, Kurt, I may have many strengths in my life, so this is not to like self-deprecate, but I am not organized. Organization, not my strength, especially Mm -hmm. not like administrative stuff. And so when I got called, I thought this is not going to go well because Christine is very organized and Morgan is not. And then... It was a few weeks into serving as Relief Society president, and I had been trying to be her. And then it hit me. I wasn't supposed to be her. I was supposed to be me. And there was a reason that I had been called for that time in that ward for those girls. And I just needed to be myself. And so I think that's something that's huge in a calling is to recognize that the Lord released so-and-so because their time was done and they could have called somebody else, but they didn't. They called you. The Lord called you and he believes in you and you can do this calling. You know, it doesn't mean that you have to be something that you're not. And it's a good thing because I'm not very good at being something that I'm not. (laughs) That's true. And and it's funny as I interview different people, it seems like every Relief Society president who who's needed to be replaced. And the history of the church has always been organized and super friendly because we sort of have this perception of like, she's got to figure it out or right. he's got to figure it out. And little do we know that probably the person who replaced you thought, man, Morgan was so organized. And she just, I <laughs> almost guarantee you they did not <laughs> no? think that. Okay. All right. The, uh, let's see, the selflessness I've witnessed from YSAs. You touched on this and this is, yeah. I think, really a concept for leaders to sit with. It's really helped me to realize like these are individuals who have such deep faith in the church and they're in such sort of this, uh, <laughs> all the words, don't use that, Kurt. No, not that. But just like a different situation where their projection of their faith or manifesting their faith is, it's got to come in a different way. It can't be the, oh, I'm a mother and I feel like this connection with the divine because I'm a good mother. Like that's just not, they're not there at that moment, right? So, what, what what more is there to say around that? Just like how how as far as leveraging the YSAs and recognizing just the the power that they bring in the the resource that they are right. Well, I think one big thing is if you have YSAs living in your boundary, are you using them? Meaning, like even if they they don't go to your ward, you know. Maybe somebody in your ward, a YSA living in your ward, has a really cool job. Have you ever thought about having them come in and talk to your young women? Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we think as single adults, sometimes it can feel a little bit like you're siloed. 
and you're not contributing to other groups of people. So it's nice to be asked to come speak to a group. It's nice to feel like included or that you're not totally different than everybody else and that you still have something to contribute. And so I, I don't know. I think we could do a lot better at utilizing single adults and recognizing that we want to be used and we want to be of assistance and we'd love to feel like we're a part of your community. Yeah. So whatever you can do to make that happen. And that was definitely a message this past conference that was shouted just about shouted from the lectern, you know, just like these are individuals that there's, there's a lot of them here and we need to push past the, cause it's like you just these different stories that we share and everybody has these stories they all include individuals with the best intentions that sort of handle things awkwardly. And so we almost have to be super proactive to push through. We can't just say, well, I've got good intentions. I'll I'll be, I'll have that top of my mind. We almost have to push through that and say, no, well, let's, how are we really going to get them involved in relief society and these presidencies and the bishoprics or whatever, so that uh, it's not just good intentions. Well, and I think there's a responsibility that lies with the single adult as well. Hmm. You know, you, you can't just sit there and expect that everybody's going to come to you. You should introduce yourself, make yourself an active part. I will say this, as wonderful as my ward is, they had like a social after church one day when COVID finally like started to ease up and it was like, oh, we can actually be around each other. And I was really hesitant to go because I didn't want to go by myself and I didn't know anybody. But I was like, this is my responsibility. You know, if I want to get to know people in this ward, then I'm going to go to the social and I might feel kind of awkward, but it'll be fine. And it was, and everybody was super nice. And so I think there is a responsibility that lies with the single adult too. It's not up to everybody else to make it a pleasant experience. Yeah. And another thought that came, as you mentioned, just, you know, being asked to maybe come speak or be involved that way, because especially in the context of youth, like we always want to create this intention of example, like let's put youth leaders as those individuals who are really faithful. They have a good family. They're sealed in the temple, right? But to take the opportunity to show them single adults who are all in in the gospel, right? right? And they're figuring it out and maybe they haven't had these opportunities, but then they can, oh yeah, there's Morgan. Like I, I, I can connect on that. And then five years down the path when they're in the same boat, that's like, oh yeah, I remember that there's other people in the, in the church that are where I am now and they're figuring it out. Right? Yeah. Well, we had Mallory Everton who was on Studio oh, C. Yeah, yeah. She did an episode with me about being single in the church and she talked about that. She said that she had a young women's leader when she was young who was single. And she said, I think about her and how grateful I was for an, ex- I am now for an example of a woman who she's like, she was pretty, she was smart. You know, she seemed to have everything going for her and she was single. Mm-hmm. And because she was single and I looked up to her, then maybe I don't feel like I'm a loser because I'm single. Yeah. And I think that that's important. Yeah. And we can't just rely on like, okay, who do we have in our ward who is single? Like you may have to branch out. Who do we have in our stake? Or I'm going to call the YSA bishop down right. the street and say, hey, let's, I, I'm trying to put this together. Any suggestions on who I could reach out to, right? It's a really proactive effort. Yeah. Know? All right. Any other principles, thoughts as far no, as? Oh, this has been that wonderful. Was good. Yeah, hopefully, I've, hopefully I discovered did some okay. gems. Yeah, you did great. You did. Great. It's almost like you've you've done this before. You know, he's talked into a mic. This is this it's is like Saturday's Warrior. <laughs> That's right. I've Don't break out into song, Morgan. Smile. Oh, there she goes. There, there she go. goes. 
So, and, and as far as like, before we wrap up, I've just got one more question for you because that's what we do as podcasters. Yeah. But with the book, obviously it's going to be published by Desert Book. So yes. safe bet is to go to the Desert Book and look yes. for it there. And Any actually, dates or things? I don't know when this episode comes out, but if people are interested, you can get 15% off pre-order. The book comes out July 26th, oh, cool. but you can get 15% off with the code all in six. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to find out when the All In podcast is going to promote it. Then I'm going to publish this one an hour later. Okay, you know? perfect. Because I know I can't be the first because you got to be the first that promotes right. your book. But, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> it's it's out there. People cool. know. So yeah. so we'll make sure people uh you know hear this definitely with time to, to go to the bookstore and check it out. And uh, man, that'll probably do you kind of feel like you're at the end of a marathon here, or is there still some work to finalize? I will or? feel very relieved. Yeah, yeah. I think we supposedly the books are in. I still haven't seen the print copy. Oh man! But I think I might cry. Yeah, when you hold that book, I mean, yes. when it's physical. Yes, that's awesome. The little question I have for you is reflecting on your time as a leader, and especially as a YSA leader. How has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? This is such a good question, Kurt. I think that the biggest thing that being a leader in a single adult ward has taught me is that. I personally, like I said, I don't think there's been anything in my life that has changed me more than being a single adult. I think it has deepened my relationship with God and made me want to be better, made me want to be more in tune because I didn't want to feel alone. And I think that that's the way that everybody in a single adult ward feels kind of. We're all searching for companionship. And sometimes you don't find that companionship in the way that you imagine, but I think you find it in God. And so for me, being a leader in a single adult ward, I think taught me to follow Christ because I wanted I wanted to have his companionship, but I also wanted to be for other people what I felt like he would be. And so you reach out in a way that you wouldn't. Otherwise, you are kinder than you would be otherwise. You, you know, you show up to things that you wouldn't otherwise show up for. And all of that is an effort to follow Christ. But it's also an effort to fulfill your calling and to be what you think God needs you to be for that season. So I think in in a way, it just made me want to be that companion that people needed, that friend, because I think that's what Christ would do for them. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three free sessions of the LGBT Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought
forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.